Mano a Mano is a retrospective movie show for adults only, educational, satirical, transgressive. It's just entertainment. We'll not out to offend, but at the end of the day, Frank Zappa said it best. You either get it or you don't. Roll the tape. Welcome everybody to Mano a Mano, where men can be men. I am Jonathan Astro. With me is Ricky Allpine and the great Yuri. Gentlemen, how are we? I'm good, thank you. Yuri, how are you? Good, good, good. Um, felt like shit yesterday, but better today, so I'm happy I got healthy in time to do this. Well, Highlight of good. my week. Uh, I did... I. I didn't expect you to actually have health information. <laughs> that's, 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 I'm I imagine you didn't glad. expect me to say anything other than good. I know. Imagine trying to explain that to a language learner. You're like, no, no one cares. When you say, how are you? No one cares what you, you know, they just want you to go good. And then you get on with it. <laughs> get on with it. <laughs> and get on with it, we shall. Enter the Dragon 1973. Bruce Lee, we are, we've gone straight for the big guns here. This movie... Uh, directed by Robert Klaus, written by Michael Arlen. Arlen. Uh, uh, budget $850,000. Box office $400 million. Jesus. Adjusted for 2022, it comes to $2 billion profit. Crazy. And I, I read crazy. that the film's cost-to-profit ratio makes it one of the most commercially successful and profitable, film, profitable films of all time. Can you believe that? It's shocking. Well, I mean, with with those numbers, I can believe it, but I would never have guessed it. That's um, it's crazy. But this is this is what's weird to me. Like, where 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 is the spinoff? Where is the TV series? Where is the sequel? Where is the prequel? <laughs> Where's all the shitty stuff? Where's all yes. the terrible stuff yes. that follows the one? Go- where did, you've done the one good thing. Where's all the shit stuff? <laughs> is it, isn't there a good answer for why that stuff doesn't exist? Well, yes, but. You know, I mean, that's never stopped Hollywood from recasting or, or you know, or, or doing a spin-off, taking one of the other characters or, you know. Rogue One. There There's a bunch of dead people in that. Star Wars. Well, I mean, I reckon if it was... Grand Muff. Grand Muff Tarkin. Yeah, and, and Leia. <laughs> okay. Um, and but, Leia. Yeah, I think if it was much more recent, they would have done it. But, yeah, yeah. for sure. But no, it's a good question. The, 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 it's it's way too successful for there not to be a series because uh, not to be because I mean, I mean, I just mentioned Star Wars. I mean that that stupid movie Rogue One was quite successful, um, if memory serves. And uh, spoiler alert, Ricky Bale die. Um, and they've done a prequel series with one of the shitty guys in that series. Yeah, it's called Andor, and it's just about to come out. I, I'm I'm sure you'll be checking that out. So. Um, but they've done that only because that stupid movie. If you enter the dragon, you would expect it would have everyone in it would have a spin yeah. off. It would yeah. be a, on Disney Plus and it would be Roper, the series, <laughs> it would be Williams, yeah, the series. And now it'd be fucking Han, the series. Yeah. It would be, it'd be, it'd be and, young and Han, the adventures out, of young Han. You'd find out how he lost his hand yes. and they'd make a big yeah. deal of it and it would be central to his character it wouldn't be brilliant the way it is in this movie how you you to this day you're like how did he lose yes. his hand you know yeah. and he's like what's that and he's, he's his skeleton hand he's like a souvenir <laughs> and you go 
And you go, that's great. And now they would go, just like in Han Solo the movie or whatever that shitty thing is, everything that happened in the movies was explained and gone over. Yes. You know? I mean, where you're wrong is that it wouldn't be about Roper or Williams or Lee or Han. It would be about just any of the women. True. Yeah. It wouldn't <laughs> be about any of the men. Don't, get, don't, don't skip ahead. All right. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Roper, Williams, and Lee, the deadly three, penetrate the secret chambers of an evil island empire. What do you know about Han? He lives like a king on that island, totally self-sufficient. A fortress without walls, protected by an invincible army that needs no ordinary weapons. This is Enter the Dragon, the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio. John Saxon is Roper. He was in it for the money. U.S. karate champion Jim Kelly as Williams. He was there because he had no choice. Black Belt Hall of Fame undisputed martial arts champion and international film star Bruce Lee. His job was to get them out alive. I'm hoping you'll join us, represent us in the United States. You want me to join this? Roper, Williams, and Lee. Just when they think they've broken the secret of the island, they find there is no escape from the inscrutable Han. Warner Brothers presents Enter the Dragon, where the world's greatest martial arts athletes meet the ultimate challenge with the most ancient and deadly of weapons, the human body. Enter the Dragon from Warner Brothers. Perhaps we should do the synopsis before we get any further. Yes, yes. Well, look, it's worth going over this because, it's, again, uh, the, this film is, is so legendary that it's it's. I think people need to pay attention. So... Hong Kong martial artist Lee, played by Bruce Lee, is roped in by British British intelligence for a special mission. There's a bad hombre called Han who uh, is into all sorts of stuff, drug trafficking, prostitution, and all the violence and murder that comes with it. Problem is that there's no evidence to arrest Han. They say they know everything. They can prove nothing. So currently he's holed up on a private island and for kicks... No pun intended. He holds a high-profile martial arts tournament. I'm not sure how regularly he does it. Uh, you know, is it Kumite sort of level where it's on regularly? I, I think they say the last one was three years ago. There you go. You were paying attention. I was not. Lee uh, is to infiltrate the island via the tournament and to gather evidence to finally nail Han. Is there any point in pretending that Lee uh, wasn't going to take the gig? Buck no. Uh, well, and by the way, just before he leaves, he learns, uh, I think it's from his father, that his sister was pursued by a bunch of Han's rapey men, including his main bodyguard, O'Hara. Uh, and to avoid the horror of the attack, uh, Lee's sister killed herself with some jagged glass. So Lee's all in, okay? You've got the mission and the sister. Uh, also taking part in the tournament are two Vietnam War buddies, Roper and Williams. Uh, Roper, played by John Saxon, is doing it purely for the money as he's in the hole with some gangsters. And Williams, played by Jim Kelly, seems to be doing it for the for the clout and the women, I think. Uh, after the first... <laughs> Ricky's nodding, so that's good. After the first day, Han informs everyone about the strict rules. No one is to be out after dark. Both Lee and Williams separately 
break this rule. Williams simply goes out for a stroll, uh, but Lee sneaks into a, into restricted areas looking for the evidence uh, to nail Han. Uh, and he, but he does end up uh, doesn't find any, I don't think, on that jaunt. But he does nail a few guards along the way. The next day, Han orders Bolo, played by Bolo Young. <laughs> what? Lee, Bolo, come on, guys. Uh, no, I mentioned this at uh, Bloodsport. He changed his name to Bolo after this role. Yes. Mm. Okay, my bad. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Han, or, so it's actually genius. Next day, Han orders Bolo, uh, played by Bolo Young, to kill the surviving guards who allowed the trespassing, pre- tre- Lee's trespassing to occur the previous night. So next up, Lee faces off against the man who most likely would have raped his sister, the scarred O'Hara. It's no contest, really, uh, and Lee uh, humiliated uh, humiliates uh, O'Hara, uh, who resorts to a real dick move at the end. He wields two broken bottles and lunges, but Lee kills him. Han's disappointed by O'Hara's treachery uh, and calls off the tournament for a day. He seems to be really, really burnt up about that, um, whereas all the stuff he's done is fine. Uh, Han confronts Williams about leaving his room the night before. He thinks Williams has knowledge of the of the of the intruder. Uh, Williams is offended and wants to leave the island immediately, but Han has other plans. He kills Williams with his tiny iron prosthetic hand. Uh, impressed by Roper's, uh, this is John Saxon. Roper's uh, fights uh, and his attitude. Han asks Roper if he will join his organization. So the tournament is in part a recruitment drive for henchmen uh, and other people. And Roper is on the fence uh, for a minute or two. uh, But um, then Han reveals the body of Williams, uh, you know, that that Williams is dead. And then he drops it into a pool, probably with sharks or something like that. Anyway, Roper's not into the deal. So that night, Lee sneaks out again and manages to send a message to British intelligence uh, I think he's got the evidence that he needs of, of Han's villainy. Uh, the alarm is tripped, and after an epic battle with the guards, Lee is captured. Han wants uh, Roper to fight Lee, uh, but he refuses, so uh, ha- Han gets Roper to fight Bolo. Roper manages to overcome Bolo in a big fight, and Han now engages in his own uh, dick move by demanding that his men kill Roper and Lee. But the boys have support from their fellow martial artists and prisoners from the dungeons, freed by uh, a British contact, uh, Mai Ling. There are fights everywhere, but the one that matters is the showdown between Lee and Han. The men duke it out, landing blows left and right, and Han escapes into a mirrored room, thinking he's got the advantage. But Lee smashes up the mirrors and kicks Han onto a spear. Okay? That's the end of the movie, pretty much. So, that's Enter the Dragon. Uh... What was the evidence that Lee found? I think it was the drugs, right? Did, where did he did he see the drugs? Yes, yeah, yeah, and and he sees this, the 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 spaced out chicks that are that have been all drugged out, and I think he, he take sees photos the... or anything. It's it's like he no, just he, sees he it just he just calls it in. Mm. Roper gets taken on a tour of the um the white slavery and the captured <laughs> supposed drunks. Yes. And it's almost like... <laughs> What's the big... drunks? What the fuck are the drunks? I don't know, no, slave no, labor they're, or something? They're, no, they're politi- political prisoners, I think. Like Right, right. Oh, but it, it, it's a sort of thing where I think because the audience sees the evidence, we just kind of go with it, well, or we're meant to go with it when Lee, because all he really seems to do is call call for help. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't photograph yeah. anything. He doesn't collect mm. anything. 
He just sends up the signal. I, I think he can then go, hey, guys, I know it's, it's, it's hidden under here, like in, in these, you know, in these caves and, and I know bunkers. they try and cover this up uh, at one point with a line about the 45, but this is a long walk for a dime in the American parlance. Do you know what I mean? Like getting this guy, you know, co-opting this guy, sort of swearing him in as a deputy like they used to do back in the old days and getting him to infiltrate this tournament, which happens to be on like next week. Uh, and so they can, you know, get into Han is, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's what Hitchcock would call a MacGuffin mm. because all of that is to uh, get us to watch him kick 60 guys' asses in, <laughs> yes. in the hallway. Although two things that I really liked from that scene was the line that you mentioned, we know everything but we can't prove anything. Great line. Yes. Good, but also the line. fact that Lee brings up, why don't you get someone with a gun? Yes. So, like, I think that was a great move. Um, not just that they brought it up, but that he brought it up, you know, given that he doesn't know anything about guns or, or at least, you know, his expertise is hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. Well, there was a problem there because cause they had to they had to make a a, a, a a modern film but with no with no guns. So, yeah. you know, it all had to be about hand-to-hand combat. And how sure. do you do that? And uh, look, they put in a good effort, I think. And, and what mm. Yuri's talking about is what the Lost writers uh, in their writer's room called Raising a Lantern to it and uh, and I think um, it's when you have a character raise an objection uh, that the audience has uh, it's usually some there'll be someone in the group who says hey wait a minute we can't do that because of this and then the, then someone shuts it down and some and those that's very important sometimes it's very important because the audience feels included we feel included we go oh, okay all right yeah fair enough and you know like, like, like there's a reason why he's got to you know get into the tournament and and kick kick asses to get the evidence. Does does that bother you though that that he doesn't find the evidence? Is that do you think that's a, a big problem? <laughs> yes, I do. I do <laughs> think this this me I'm going to say the, stepping back, this movie is legendary. It's totally legendary and shitty at the same time. Like it's amazing and shit a little bit shitty. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's there's stuff in it that's just mind bending, like like the score, the mirror scene, the nunchak uh, <laughs> scene, the costumes. And when yeah. I when I wrote nunchucks down, Google changed it rightly to nunchaku, <laughs> and I felt embarrassed. I was like, "Oh, thank you, Google. <laughs> thank we've, you. We've moved on from the '90s. Is that what Google's trying Go- to tell you?" Google was saying, hey, dude, like, if you don't know it's Nunchaku, then I don't know what you're doing. Uh, but his outfit, the, just the black pants, the no shirt, the prosthetic hand, the dialogue, don't think, feel, it, totally legendary. But th- on this viewing, there was shitty stuff that, that I could not ignore. I think once they get to the island, they stopped trying as hard in terms of plot and motivation and all that sort of stuff. Because once you're there, you're there, and then it's pretty much about the action. Um, yes. So I think, I imagine there may have been a scene that may have been cut for time where he does discover evidence or something like that. I just, you know, but by the time they're there, it's it's the spectacle and the fighting and the, you know, the kind of atmosphere of it all that, that you know, everyone just seems to go with. There. That's Han. That's the only film we have on him. We know that he was a member of your temple, a Shaolin monk now a renegade 
That's O'Hara behind him, personal bodyguard, tough, ruthless, as you might expect being Han's bodyguard. We got our hands on a demonstration film of O'Hara, all real bricks and boards, nothing phony about any of it. This was before he picked up a facial scar somewhere. This is where you'll be going. An island fortress, really. After the war, the nationality of the island was uncertain. And sometime after that, Han bought it. What do you know about Han? He lives like a king on that island. Totally self-sufficient. All of his efforts, seemingly, are directed towards supporting what he calls his school of martial arts. Han's only contact with the outside world is this tournament, which he holds every three years. This was a stewardess, Mary King, found floating in the harbor. Nothing unusual about a body in the harbor, but this girl was last seen at a party aboard Han's private junk. They'd reported her lost at sea before the body was found. We believe he selects attractive girls and methodically builds their dependence on drugs, then sells them to an elite clientele around the world. What did the autopsy review as the cause of death? She did not drown. She OD'd? Uh, uh, yes. Cause of death was uh, heroin overdose. I gather you still don't have enough to bust up his operation. We know everything. We can prove nothing. We want you to go in there as our agent. Get us our evidence. And come out in one piece to give it to you. Look, am I... Am I can offend too many people by saying that I think that Bloodsport is a better script? I, I certainly I got more bored during this movie than Bloodsport. Maybe a big <laughs> yeah, part of that is because I hadn't really watched it that much as a kid, whereas Bloodsport oh, I had, so I had, had oh, a wow. nostalgia to go with it. I, I think I've seen this movie more than any movie that I've ever seen. I, wow. I, I could recite all of the dialogue when I saw this movie. Yeah. I think I've seen this yeah. movie like 150 times. 150 I definitely times did. Easily. I definitely did Van Damme more than I did Bruce back in the day. Um, I did watch this movie a lot. I think Bloodsport's like got some much more ridiculous things to it. Like, I mean, he he doesn't he beat up a bunch of Hong Kong cops with his American FBI guys, and then after a while they just go, ah, just fucking let him go. When he's, when he's walking down the alleyway and they're like, they're kind of jumping out and he's just like kicking oh, the shit yeah, out but of all these They're in the, 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 he's so close to them and they're like, oh, fuck it. Like, let's just get on. Let's just do this, the fight. Come on. That's ridiculous. All right. Because I mean, they're, they're, that is ridiculous. He, he's, he's a meter away from them and, and they've got a taser each that they can take him down with. And it's like, mm. oh, go on. The movie needs to keep going. Isn't it? But Bloodsport is a much simpler tale though, because, because. Enter the Dragon. It really is about these three guys because they do have a, a quite involved backstory that you that you see. That's true, but then and John Saxon Roper has talked about this. He they wanted him to be in the movie, and he's like, well, you know, he's interested in martial arts, but he did have reservations after all. He was like, oh, you could just get a stunt man to do this, and then they said, oh no, you know what? What what are we gonna do? He's like, oh well, let's put in all this stuff, and he said he put it. They shot all this stuff that he suggested, and he said they they cut it all out. Right. He did also suggest that because because Roper was going to be the one that got killed by Han, and it was right. going to be Williams that that got the proposition to join. And, right. and 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 he he got his agent to to switch to switch that. I'm telling BLM for starters. That's not okay. <laughs> well, I mean, what what's actually more racist that the black guy is more likely to join a criminal organization or that the black guy gets killed? 
Well, it's like that old meme that, that well, it's not an old meme, but it's that it's that that one of the person pointing the gun at the person, and it's like a like it depend changes on it's like four panels, and it changes each time. So it's like it's a what is it a a, a black guy pointing at a gun at a white guy, and it's like the the the, the SJW screaming and crying saying. Oh my God, that's racist! How could you be so racist? You know, that's a, a black guy. A black guy's all criminals. The next one's like switched around, and it's like, oh my God, that's so racist! How can you? So you can't win. We are all ready to win, just as we are born, knowing only life. It is defeat that you must learn to prepare for. I don't waste my time with it. When it comes, I won't even notice. Oh, how so? I'll be too busy looking good. What were you looking for when you attacked my guards? Wasn't me. You were the only man outside the palace. I was outside, but I wasn't the only one. You will tell me who else. Mr. Han, suddenly I'd like to leave your island. It is not possible. Bullshit, Mr. Handman. Man, you come right out of a comic book. Oh, but I think this is masterful. And I, like, I've always been struck by Jim Kelly's, and it says introducing, so I guess it's his first film. So who knows, after he'd done a bunch of movies, whether he would have just gone along with it. But I think his rather unceremonious death is a stroke of genius. And I think it, it, it's po possibly one of the best things about the movie. Like, it's the sort of thing that, yeah, a star wouldn't let happen to them. And uh, it sort of makes him a bit legendary because he, you've disappointed. Like, like there, there are movies where it's this guy is um quite memorable and cool and he gets killed and and it really raises the stakes you're like man han has got to go like he just killed a, a guy who i really like and um who seemed he had his own little moments with the cops and you know uh i guess with the chicks you know with all but, the hookers um, with all the hookers <laughs> all of the know? hookers He's in his own black exploitation movie. Yes. Like, in that, in that scene. Like, I, I think that's an interesting part about the film is that it it it's you know it's a kung fu film. It it's kind of a James Bond film, really. Like Han is a James Bond mm. villain, mm. and it's got yeah. that spy element. But then then it's it, it's also a black exploitation film. So this is my bugbear again. So I'll get off this horse eventually because it's been going on for a few weeks now. But think of this: a Hong Konger secret agent engaged by a white british intelligent agent attends a martial arts tournament he shares the story and the poster with a black martial artist and an italian american sometime gambler and there's a bunch of asian chicks all around them this is like what the fuck am i missing this is a warner brothers movie the big fat big titted hit uh it's more diverse than than most hollywood movies um, so uh, why, when we tell the story of how everything literally five minutes ago was the antebellum South. So five minutes yesterday, while you were sick, Yuri, it, it was actually the civil war. Like it was, everyone was living in this misogynist, racist dystopia. And now in this moment, because we're smart right now, we're the only ones who care. We're the only ones who've got altruism in that. And movies were only good now. They were never trying or doing anything so i don't understand why this this particular movie in this story gets total i mean the fact that fucking bruce lee is so big 
He's big. It's it's in a time when when being racist to Asians was was probably you could do that at a meeting, you know. Yeah. So what the hell? And they they even had um police uh racial profiling. So the two cops he beats the shit out of have pulled him over just because he's black and they're you know menacing him and are about to beat him up just because he's got a ticket to Hong Kong. So they even address, you know, systematic racism. in Hawaii. Yeah. Going on a trip, are you? Hey, this jig's got a passport. Where you going, jig? Where's the plane ticket for? Hong Kong. By Hawaii. He's not going to Hawaii. Well, look what we got here. Holding a police officer. I think it. I think it just goes to show that if the movie is good, no one cares. You know. You can have this diverse cast, and it's great. I think I think it it, it it obviously enhances the film. But because it's a it's a good movie, and you have a good time, it's like yeah, it's great, you know. But this movie's got an international flavor. This movie is a is a is a um, it's it's a global movie, and and everyone is is given their their dues. And I don't understand, you know, why Warner Brothers doesn't hold this up as being you know, something worth celebrating and saying, yeah. Like what they, imagine coming out and saying, um, when this diversity stuff, like the Oscars people say that they're going to do this, say you should come out and have a press conference and say, um, uh, we've been doing it for 50 years. Welcome to the party. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the welcome to the party, pal. You know, like we've been there. You know, what, what are you talking about? Like this is, we've been, we, we, we made Bruce Lee a star because we, we like great people from all around the world. We've always cared about other cultures. You know, um, it's just, it's just to me, you know, get off it, but it's just, it just drives me fucking crazy. Cause I know what they'd say. The problem is now we've gone in, they would, now it's all about staying in your lane. So they'd say, stay in your lane, you know, don't, uh, you know, you, you're not allowed to get Lalo Schifrin to do a little bit of an oriental <laughs> sounding score. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, you know, you, there'd, there'd be this whitewashing debate. Mind you, there, I don't think there, there was no whitewashing in this. They just got Asian people to, to do whatever. Well, I think like you said before, you're damned if you don't, you're damned if you don't. There's, there, there is no winning. There's, there's only just, you know, outrage. So Those examples I always give. That movie, that Into the Heights or whatever, by that uh, musical where yeah. there wasn't enough Latino people in it, and everyone was Latino. Yeah, I don't know. There wasn't so enough was dark skin Latinos. That's right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so this Cause, is cause where like, we're at. Because it's like that's a, where we're at. A, a, actually, my um, like my wife sometimes does this at work for reasons I won't kind of go into. But it's almost like they're pulling out like color swatches that you get from paint and like holding it up to the screen. And it's like mm. yes. Not mm. quite the right colors ones. Ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. Now, I, I had a question. Is is Saxon miscast as Roper? Because, I, you know, I think physically, in terms of the fighting, it, there's there's a disparity there. Yuri, will you, you go first? He's passable. He, uh, he's definitely better with his hands. 
So when he has the Bolo fight, he's okay. When he has that fight with the mobsters, it's pretty terrible because he's trying to do flashy stuff that he's not quite capable of doing. Um, so I think for the time period, I think he would have been all right. I don't know how much better you would have gotten, um, especially not with someone who could actually act, um, which is you know why you had you know in the eighties you had all these act, the all these action stars like none of them could act to save their fucking lives. They were all just martial artists. Mm, yeah. Well, I you know I love I love the character Roper. I think he's great. Mm. You know, a gambling addict, playboy, fighter. I think that's great. And I think he, he plays that well. But, yeah, just the fighting, like, I just think Bolo would have mopped the floor with him. You know, I just, it's just really unconvincing when he fights Bolo. Well, it's, look, that might that may be true, but I, I won't stand for this because uh, John Saxon is probably the best actor in the movie. Mm. Uh, he's, a, he's a proper actor. And yes. that's, that's the thing. And they've done that on purpose. They've at least, they've tried to get lots of different people in it and, He's the guy who, yeah, he's a proper actor, and he's come at it from. He's got an he's got an interest like a few actors do in martial arts, but he's not a martial artist, like despite what he says. Uh, but and they also they gave him enough ball shots to make that fight a little bit more yes. believable. Like yeah, yeah, because he's he, a dirty he's fighter. Yeah, he just does whatever he needs to do to win. He punches him in the balls. He bites him on the leg when he's in the armbar. You know, he just does what he has to do, which is part of his character as well um so i think that kind of brings it into some sort of plausibility in a movie where you know one tiny asian dude beats up 60 people at once you know what i mean so <laughs> it's a, like within that realm i think yeah, it's all right it's all right williams is definitely a better fighter that's a tough shot mr roper uh Excuse me, fellas. I say you can't make it. What do you bet? You gotta love them. Come on, Roper. It's 175 big ones by Monday the 15th. Only 150. You forget interest. Well, then maybe I ought to talk to Freddy. Take advantage, Roper. Come on, fellas. It's the dough, Roper, or we gotta break something. You got it? Freddy says this is for your own good. Well, I want to get, just before we leave John Saxon, I just want to give a massive shout out because he is, uh, he, only, he only passed away uh, in 2020 uh, in, at the age of well, just shy of 84. An incredible, versatile performer with a, with a huge history and um, transracial, because he's Italian American, but has been doing brownface since since day dot. Like just full. <laughs> yeah, he's played every. I've seen movies where he's playing. I think Middle Eastern guys, Mexicans, like oh, just whatever. Um, and now that's deeply offensive. But back then it was he. he it was you know uh, he would be the one. Uh, saying that's great, you know, because uh, he would be getting, uh, as an Italian American, would have been getting stick from a lot of people. Uh, but, but just as a, a quick preview, the reason he's so brilliant is because he has his career in in some ways resembles Rick Dalton in in Once Upon a Time in, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So all those movies that um, Rick does in Italy, John Saxon did those. 
um, and was on TV. He was on Barnick Man. He was on these westerns uh, as well. So the closest thing you get get to Rick Dalton is this guy. And the directors he's worked with uh, are different eras. So the great Mario Bava in 1963, The Girl He Knew Too Much, was like the first Jalo film. So he's in the first Jalo film, the very first one, black and white, looks beautiful. Uh, uh, so he's worked with Mario Bava, um, you know, going up for a few years, he's worked with John Sturgis, who did The Great Great Escape and all, all those those great movies, um, uh, Joe Kidd, he's worked with Marlon Brando, Clint Eastwood, 1974, Bob Clark, uh, director of Porky's, um, did a movie called Black Christmas, which is one of the greatest horror movies ever made, he's in that. He worked with David Cronenberg in 1979 in Fast Company, which I've yet to see, it's a car movie, which I, I, I'm interested in. Uh, Tenebrae, 1982, Dario Argento. So he's with Argento. Uh, 1984, he's Nancy's dad in, so the hero's uh, dad in, in Wes Craven's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. He's also in the, the second best Nightmare on Elm Street film of all time, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, 1987. So if you want to know, dear listener, just as a sidebar, what the two greatest ones are, number one and number three, they go together. You can forget the second one. It's just they, they are a direct sequel. And he's in both of those. Very memorable. And he's, he's also got a... a a little cameo in Dust Till Dawn, so he's worked with uh, 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 Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. So just think of that career. Think of the, imagine being and, and and he's in Enter the Dragon. So so imagine saying at a party, "Oh, who are you again?" Because people wouldn't, you know, they would recognize him, but not really, you know. And then it's like, "Oh, I'm I'm an actor. Oh yeah, what have you done?" It's like, "Oh, I was in Enter the Dragon and Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know, like I work with Mario Bava and and like Dario Argento and stuff." I mean, that's a fucking crazy crazy and he's got all these like um italian uh cop movies and other stuff like the rick dalton stuff that as well so that's just a little a john saxon thing so ricky uh i'm offended okay. <laughs> no i i like him but I, just from a fighting point of view is was my criticism oh his fighting sucks it's no good his <laughs> fight his fighting is um el topo fighting <laughs> <laughs> yes he's okay no, no, with... no holy mountain the holy mountain oh, yes holy mountain yes he's okay with his hands he's okay with his hands yes yeah he kicked my ass but i'm saying like, yeah you know i'm watching into the dragon here <laughs> well what what i always kind of found a little odd i'm not sure if it's a bruce lee thing or a kung fu thing or a fighting for the screen at the time thing but I never found a lot of Bruce's kicks to look all that good. Um, and then it was kind of really made obvious when, uh, Astro, you, you kind of, you gave us the, um, the spoof movie, which I'm pretty sure was shot in and was full of Koreans. So they would have been doing a lot more Taekwondo. Because their oh, kicking just looked... of Yen we're talking about now. Yeah. So their, their kicking looked a lot better. Movie. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Something about Bruce's kicks on screen never kind of really sang for me. He's all about the kicks. Isn't isn't, uh, um, Jeet Kune Do all about kicks? It's kind of all about everything, really. It it was like a lot of people actually credit Jeet Kune Do as the beginning of mixed martial arts. So the whole philosophy behind it was, uh, I'm not sure if it's actually after he came over to the West, he started seeing a lot of flaws in traditional Kung Fu that he had studied and just basically started mixing every single style he possibly could. So a lot of boxing influenced um, Jeet Kune Do as well as uh, a lot more grappling. He started training in Judo. So a lot of people actually credit that as the first kind of emergence of mixed martial arts, which 
I would say isn't quite true. The Russians were doing this thing called combat sambo in the 1920s, which was essentially the same thing. So like the Russians had some of their own fighting and wrestling styles and sent guys over to Japan to learn um, judo and karate and kind of, you know, bring back some of those elements back to Russia and, and kind of mix it in. But yeah, that, that's what Bruce kind of, I think, on his own ended up, ended up doing. But the bigger question is, because Ricky's sort of gotten there, gotten us there, what's your what's our evaluation of of Bruce's fighting on screen? What what are we getting from it that that has made four hundred million dollars? I mean, I think it was the first time anyone had seen anything like that, and Bruce himself is very charismatic. So he, you know, no no one knew what they were looking at, and um, that kind of almost a little bit feeds into like you know you, you kind of brought up. Uh, once upon a time in in Hollywood, um, so he the way he's portrayed in that scene is a bit of an asshole, which was allegedly um, based on a real story where he would, uh, when he was doing the Green Hornet, apparently he was incredibly disrespectful to American stuntmen and would like punch and kick them all the time. Supposedly that wasn't a hundred percent true, where they they probably um, overdid it in Once Upon a Time. So it, it seemed like he did actually punch and kick the stuntman a lot but that's because he didn't know how to fight on screen but also the stuntman had actually never seen the type of shit that he was doing they were used to these you know winding kind of john wayne type telegraphed punches where they were just kind of windmilling so they could react you know to something very slow and and telegraphed whereas bruce was doing much quicker much more you know much less telegraphed movements um so I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is that no one had seen anything like this on screen before. He's incredibly fast. You know, He's very it's, it's fast. the speed and the charisma of him and, and just the physique of him as well. Like, I mean, he's just With the speed, jacked. though, we know that you can speed up film. But does it look like s- film that's been sped up, though? Well, no, it, can't you kind of tell? But that, well, you can't. It, look, I, I'm just saying that... Uh, it's the old Tom Cruise does his own stunts thing. Yuri, who cares? You know, I mean, it's good, but that's not necessary. I think it was so new that it just captivated the world, basically. And even yes. with, you know, like the the screaming after the fact, like stomping on a guy <laughs> and having an elongated scream and, and pulling a weird face. And the look face. on his face. Yeah. I mean, it's what ridiculous. What is the face? But <laughs> he's sort of sad. He's sort of like disappointed and happy, and <laughs> like he's like he's like 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 there's something weird in there. Then we go to Bloodsport, and our, our mate Van Damme is doing the exact same thing. He's just doing his version of it. He's yes, doing the yes. exact same thing, and you go, "That's not for anything." So there's key eyeing while you actually punch, but after the fact, you're just being a showman. And I think Bruce was yes. just being a showman as well as an yes. incredible athlete an incredible human specimen, an incredible martial artist. So I think he would have kick-started all these 80s martial arts stars. Well, apparently, they, I mean, they talk about this in the doco, like it, it's sort of being the, the, the top gun of, of martial arts. Mm. So people, people like change people's lives. Like people watch this and imagine this like Boogie Nights era. You, you, you watch End of the Dragon and then you go and like, it changes your life. You go and join a dojo and you become a karate guy. Or, or a Wing Chun guy, and you chase that dream that we would we, we had when we were young men, which is thinking that martial arts was going to have a, 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 a central point in a, in our in our lives. It probably should have. I probably should have stuck with it. I feel like I'd be a lot more centered. But um, 
uh, I, you know, like that. Th- I love the idea that th- that this movie, it, that it just like something about it because I mean that so, his daughter and Bruce's daughter and some other people have said some mad stuff like they've made a lot of the philosophy in the film and stuff. But I, I don't know, I don't know. It's sometimes it's great. It's for the ages. Some of the stuff, but some of the stuff's not great. Like, like I mean, some of the philosophy stuff. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, he's he's a he. From a Buddhist perspective, he's you know he, uh, his perspective might be different in the film or whatever, but he gets there sort of by saying there is no I, and you go okay, yeah, saying there's no self, that's good. But at the end of the day, he does kill people, and he does like he's not about peace and love, you know. So he's sort of a bit bankrupt. That's it. How did it feel to you? Let me think. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. Well, to me, the philosophy stuff has always just kind of fed into that, you know, I suppose it's a bad thing now, but like that Orientalism, you know, this is all mystic things from the Far East. That yeah. that's you know, and 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 when they first go into Han's uh, kind of palace, so there's like you know most things uh, are Chinese, but they've got two sumo guys in the middle of it as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, it's got nothing to do with China, but throw them in there anyway. You know, it, it's it's all this weird Far East stuff, right? Well, I, I I did I have always liked that fighting without fighting. You know, what's your style? That that interaction what's your that he style, has, man? yeah. On on the boat on the way to Hans Island, you know, it's one of my favourite lines. With, it is. With yeah. the, watch, your, watch, watch your style. With the Queenslander, he's <laughs> he's an Aussie that they clearly told him, dial down your Aussie accent as much as you possibly can. Because no, he's he's a New Zealander. He's no, New his character's a New Zealander. He's born in Queensland. All oh, right. Yeah. But but this is the thing though. There was no no location sound was captured, so everything is dubbed. So I'm unsure yeah. as to whether that's even his voice. Like it could be some other guy, hmm. you know. So I never because there was no internet when I was really when I or no fast internet when I was watching this movie over and over when I was a kid. Um, you just had no answers for why and no one to talk to because we weren't in Hollywood. You know, in the fucking strip, what at some retrospective cinema, like talking about chop socky movies and what the what what's going on. So you net there was no one to talk to about why the 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 mouths never matched up with the audio, and you just had to accept that, and you yeah. did, I guess. Um, but it was only later that you sort of much later that you put it together. Oh, this is all dubbed. Yeah. You know, well maybe when I saw Wayne's World. Yes. That's great. Very well. If that is your custom, prepare to die. That guy's dumb. He why would he get in the boat? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes, you know I've I mean? always thought about that. Yeah. Why don't you just wait till you get to the island you're going to? Let's just fight now. Like, what's <laughs> yes. the difference? Like, we're going to get on this boat? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's stupid. You know, actually, it's gotten me thinking about all the lines. So many great lines and so many of them offensive because they're in his accent. So, I like lines that don't even, um, that don't even mean anything or don't, don't need, like, like just little ones. Like, hello, Mr. Braithwaite. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know? 
lines. Or what about this one? She all did. You know, like like all all of these great little lines that you just go because it's made it's made like now they go oh you're doing you're doing a fake Asian accent you go no no I'm doing Bruce Lee yeah yeah. I'm doing Bruce Lee Bruce Lee is Bruce Lee so it's like I'm if I'm doing um, James Cagney then I'll talk like James Cagney I'll go hey see you know I'll I'll do all of that but when you're doing Bruce Lee you've got to say don't think feel you've got to do the whole thing get into it you know well on uh, this is dipping into my trivia but uh i gotta tell you this story knowing that lee had trouble pronouncing certain words script writer michael allen introduced as many r's into lee's dialogue as he could okay well see (laughs) what an asshole (laughs) he's an asshole and arguably so in the Kentucky Fried movie directed by John Landis, which I got you guys to watch the the, the spoof of this fistful of yen, arguably that's more offensive, <laughs> you know, because they really just go for it. That guy, you hear him speaking at the very end, and he's got a perfectly fine like American, Asian American accent, and the whole time he's saying like, you know, just really, you know, putting the W's in there instead, you know. Yeah, I, um, I enjoyed that movie more than the real one, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to watch that. So, Kentucky Fried movie. You should watch the whole movie because it's like a sketch movie before there was sketch. So, so, um, there's a whole bunch of sketches, and they keep coming back to. It's meant to sort of give you this idea of like a late night TV show, and you get sort of these grabs of movies and trailers and all sorts of stuff, and they're great. Like it's sexy as well. Like like you know, really great. Like, uh, but then the 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 Into the Dragon, the loving Into the Dragon parody is called Fistful of Yen, and they're all of the all, all, like it's a proof you know you've arrived when you get imitated. Like mm. when you're on the SNL or when like that's when you know you've arrived because parody and imitation is that's the sign that that that's legendary and, and so all the good stuff from the movie or all the all the amazing stuff that you don't even think about because it's so big is is made fun of in fistful of yen like like you know how he goes in in into the dragon he puts he finds a snake outside and then he puts it in the room and then mm-hmm. the guys end up like immediately smashing the window to get out of the room and then in fistful of yen he takes out a toy robot and it goes in there, and then the guy goes, "Oh my god, a toy robot!" And it's like smashes out the window, like Chief Wiggum or whatever, you know. And then, uh, and, then go, and then the other guy goes, "A toy robot!" And then it, it shoots him. It shoots so him. all of the best stuff is 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 sort of uh, beautifully parodied. Um, my favorite thing uh, was I, slapping the guard dog and going, "What was that? This is not a real. <laughs> this is not a spectacle." <laughs> like he did to his student at the beginning, hitting the hitting the dog for real too. Yeah, like, like, like just slapping it on, it on the head. head. Yeah. It goes. What was that? Yeah, you know, uh, you need emotional but, content. All of it is great, and like the the bad guy. We'll get off it in a sec, but like the the because the the prosthetic hand in 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 this the James Bond sort of like prosthetic hand in in, in Enter the Dragon is is a. A wonderful touch and in in fistful of yen he replaces they take it to the nth degree like there's even a so he's got like a hairdryer a toothbrush that he puts on there and at one point it the scene begins and he's he's had sex with a chick and he says he's he says like uh I, what is he I, you please accept my gratitude or something like that, that line he keeps saying over and over again and he's got he's got a full vibrator on it on the end <laughs> on the end you know 
But so also to go like they acknowledge the James Bond thing because when they have like when Lee first or whatever the, the spoof version of Lee arrives to the island and he sees all the different people training. There's like a group of them that are training by throwing bolo hats at statues and beheading them. Like yes, um, yeah, like like Joshua Tree, man. Yes, whatever uh. random task was <laughs> in the real thing. <laughs> yes, no, true. And actually, the, the, there's that line, their version of of Braithwaite, so the British agent says to him at the beginning, because they, they cover this. So because he says, you know, um, I'm not going to accept a mission, and then he says, yes, Mister Mister Lee. But you'll have the opportunity to, to kill fifty, maybe sixty people, and that—that's what yeah. inspires him <laughs> to go. And you saw that sort of hits home because we've talked about that. We talked about in Enter the Dragon how, you know, the the inciting incident is is shaky. And then we've got the sister. Is this is is this death of the sister? It's emotionally necessary, but 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 is this handled well? He's on the mission and he's just quickly told about his sister? It's it's so he can kill the Scarface dude. Yes. It's, I'm it's saying emotionally. You know, it's to justify him murdering this guy in the middle of a tournament. Because it really, see, his sister dying, the film should sort of open with him at the grave. Like, that's how big it is. Mm. It, like, in, in the way that... Well, he didn't know anything about it, I guess. I didn't know that. Like, And I'm like, wait, what didn't you know? You didn't know... You know, because later on he sees flashbacks that he didn't even see. I mean, it he definitely sees, would have been stronger, uh, a stronger motivation compared to the one we've got. Wasn't he on the fence? Like he wasn't sure whether he was going to go and then that, that tipped him over the edge? Is that... I got the impression that he was going and then right. this was just an added thing where you just kind of go, y- y- they, they should have just reversed those two things. Like it should have been, yes. he's been looking for an opportunity to avenge his sister's death, and then this agent comes to him and says, "Hey, we've got to do this," and then he jumps on it. What in storytelling terms, what this is is the term we always use when, when we come up with a beat, and then you go, "Oh, what, what if? Oh, and what if he had a sister and she died, and that's why he's got to go?" You'd say, "Oh, it just seems a bit toy town." It 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 it's, it's, it's his way of shrinking the story world into everybody being related and everybody having a stake in Han and Han being the biggest guy in the world. Like it takes away that that element of, of being naturally pulled into an adventure and having to go on that adventure. It's sort of like, you know, it's sort of one or the other in, in a way. Like you could change it all if, if Lee sought out the British intelligence people. But also Han is also a member of, the, of Lee's same Shaolin temple. <laughs> There's three right, reasons. Yeah. His master says he's disgraced us and he's got to go, essentially. Yeah. So that is, they have thrown the kitchen sink at this. So the, you are like, if you have missed one of those motivations, you're on board for the other two. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're, you're like, oh, yeah, well, he's got, you've got a sense. You don't question anything after that because you're like, oh, well, that guy's got to go for so many reasons, like, you know, that I can count. I only killed Williams, you know, like, oh, and the stewardess. No one cares about her. <laughs> So, you know, well, except yeah. for Roper, Roper was cut up about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Women get uh, there's a lot of women in this movie, and um, you know, I cover it later in a bit more detail. But but I I just want to know why O'Hara. So this is the the main henchman who 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 almost rapes um, Lee's sister and chases her. Why is he him and his men so rabid for that pussy? Like, True. They yeah. can't stop thinking about it. Because over on the island, they've just got it on tap. <laughs> well, that's a good point, though. 
and that but they're on the mainland it's like come on guys like i i i wouldn't be in that group all right i'm just saying but if i was i'd be the one to say hey guys like you know i get i get where you're at okay but let's just um let's just keep going to the to the night spot like what what are we why are we why are we chasing this random chick that we just bumped into and one one of our guys uh katie was watching it while while it was on TV, and she goes, "Oh, that guy!" Like, because the guy just does this sort of hug, a forcible hug. Mm. It's a real twenty twenty two thing, actually, because he goes, he goes in for like this forcible hug, and now that's that's the equivalent of um of rape. So, uh, not that I am forcibly hugging people, but I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> Matt Damon. You're saying Mano Mano does not condone forcible hugging I don't. against anyone's I don't. will. I don't think forcible hugging is not on, but these guys were just rabid. They were they were willing to th- to risk it all. Well, to me, it it just seemed like an escalating incident because she fought back. So it might have started about trying oh, to get okay. a bit of bit of you know a, a bit of a feel, and then because she started fighting back, mm. then it became about something else, and then she just had to go. She just had oh, to. Oh, so it was all her fault that. then. You know what? What was she wearing? <laughs> you know, she's wearing <laughs> sort of a traditional Chinese outfit. Very, 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 um, it's all covered up, so I don't know. <laughs> With that scene, I thought I thought that guy wasn't her and Lee's dad. I think he was just someone they knew, because otherwise, where the fuck was he at the end? He like I thought if he was going to be the dad, he would have been helping out more. No, I think he's an uncle. Mm. Right. I, I think it's that time again. Now we're going to do something extremely fun. We're going to play a wonderful game called Who Is My Daddy? And what does he do? Do you know, before you get into it, Yuri, I think, I'm going to say it, I think Kindergarten Cop is better than most Netflix TV series. 100%. And I think it's what the, gen, the new generations deserve. And I, th- and I want to lock them all in a room and play it on a loop and, and get them to watch it and to see Crisp, Crisp getting beaten to a pulp, to see the kids say, my dad, my what is it? My mommy says my daddy's a real sex machine. Like, <laughs> you know, boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. All that good stuff. Yes. Anyway, it's a great movie. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, that's an aside. Given that we've gone too far away from it, um, so uh, as a refresher of what this is, um, we're looking for father figures. On, uh, I'm going to present you guys with some characters from the movie, and you have to choose which one you would like to have as your father. So, first up, Bruce Lee as Lee. Pros, smart, capable, disciplined, moral, amazing fighter, good teacher, philosopher, respects women, doesn't look like he's short of a dollar. So, basically, he's like the ultimate human man. Shredded Uh, as well. Cons, he's kind of short and a bit of a screamer, but that's about it. Those are about the only cons this man has. So I mean, even even before um, even before he wins the tournament in terms of a mon- monetary type thing, he looks like he's doing very well for himself. He's very comfortable talking to British intelligence. He seems like he's been part of high society. He seems to be a teacher at quite a sprawling, um, you know, mountaintop, yeah, type like Wing Chun dojo, school, whatever it is. So. You know, everything seems like it's kind of dialed up to eleven. So that's Lee. Okay. What What is his profession? I think he's just a um, Shaolin monk, an, an instructor, a master. They say on Wikipedia, I think it's like martial artist. 
Yeah. Which is a way... I mean, that Steven Seagal's a martial artist. Yeah. So. Ambiguous then. The next guy. John Saxon as Roper. Pros. Great fighter. Uh, very suave and, and kind of calm. You know, keeps his cool under pressure. He's got a good amount of style when he gets, you know, confronted by those mobsters at the beginning. He handles himself very well. Not scared to go up against Bolo as well. And he comes out on top. So not as... Good of a fighter as Lee, obviously, but still he's, uh, you know, getting some work done. Con's a degenerate gambler. Um, questionable <laughs> morals. He has he has a bit of a think about joining Han's operation before he ultimately turns him down, but, he, you know, he, he gets close. Um, he certainly yes. partakes in all the prostitutes that, that Lee um, doesn't, so he doesn't have um, qualms with that. But, mm. I mean, I don't know if that's a pro mm. or a con because... That's either female exploitation or that's female empowerment and sex work is real work, so I don't I don't know what the fucking rules are. And he's fucking broke. So he starts the movie with sixty something dollars to his name and he leaves it to his um assistant. So he's fucking broke. He's not getting the prize money that he thought he was gonna get. Um so yeah, he's down to zero. He's he's a bit of fun though. He is a bit of fun. Uh, and then there's Han. So rich, powerful, lavish lifestyle. I mean, he has his own island. He's got henchmen. He's got women. He's got heroin. He's got just about everything. Uh, and he's smart enough to have evaded uh, international authorities for all this time. So, you know, um, very capable dude. Cons, he's basically a supervillain. Uh, as Williams says to him, uh, it's, it's like he's something out of a comic book. And if you do disappoint him, like his guards did, um, you know, you, you bring, you, you know, you break some of the expensive shit he's got laying around, you, you bring home a bad report cut from school, you might have to fight Bolo for your fucking life. So, you know, that might be an issue. So, um, okay. what do you reckon, boys? Ricky, what, what, who, who are you going with? Um, Lee, Saxon or Han? It's a, it's a tricky one. Like, I think, I think Lee would be... I don't know, you'd be like, Dad, stop banging on about all that, you know, Eastern... You sit in your head every day you know, about yeah, something just, new, you know? Yeah, just, you know, just don't, don't think, feel, you know, it's like a finger pointing away to the moon, you know, all of that stuff. You'd be like, Dad, come don't on. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss <laughs> all the heavenly glory. So well, Was I the that. only one that thought that whole finger business made absolutely no fucking sense whatsoever? I thought it was gibberish, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know, there's, there's something in there. I don't know. No, I, th I, th I thought it was that thing where, where, um, yeah, like I, I think it's it's like a it's a thing you do with your pets. Like your pet, you can point at something. Like you can point out something to your dog, but he'll never look at the thing you're pointing at. He will only look at your finger. I yes. think it's got something to do with that. No, maybe it's a trick. He's tricking him. He's uh, he's trying to he's teach. If you take it as it's uh, it's like a finger pointing away to the moon, and he expected. And when the kid looking at the finger, the key word was moon, not finger. He's like it's like a finger pointing away to the moon, and then he's looking at the finger, and he's like, "Don't look at the finger." I said moon. You know, you're gonna miss the heavenly glory. You fucking little punk. All right. Anyway, that could get a bit annoying. <laughs> and I think Roper would be Roper would be a lot of fun. I feel like he would always sort of bounce back and land on his feet, you know, like he wouldn't always be down and out. So He survives. As I well mean, as well. he, he seems survives. like he had money. So he, he had like, you know, 15 suitcases 
that he was traveling with. And when he caught up with the Williams, he goes, are they all yours? And he's like, yeah. And it's like, oh, same old Roper. Mm. So it, it seems like he's you, used you to the lavish lifestyle. He's, he's a war vet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, war vet. So, so you yeah. have no respect for veterans. None. You hate the I hate the troops. I hate the you troops. You hate the troops. You hate our <laughs> troops. You don't care about support animals or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they are, yeah, that's, it is just sort of tacked on there. That was the thing that you just, you know, Vietnam was just used as a plot point. Just, oh, yeah, yeah they yeah, knew yeah, each yeah. other. Mm. Like the Magnum Force, it made more sense because they knew each other. I think it was a way to legitimize them ha- uh, being able to fight. Oh, yeah. yeah so they so. knew each other and they've also had experience with combat. Because mm. it is a, it is weird, guys, like. You know, you if you, I've known some guys, you would have known some guys, obviously, or maybe you've been this guy. Dojo guys, guys who who, who hang out at the dojo, they love the dojo, that they're, they're all about it. Like they've got friends at the dojo, all that stuff. Wasn't me, but anyway. Okay, so right. Ricky, are you <laughs> looks like are you you're going with Roper? Is that, is that what? Oh, we're I don't know, but then Han, you know, I mean, big part of that <laughs> seems like it's a bit of a dynasty, you know, like. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of advantages, you know, even though you might have to fight Bolo. I think, oh, it's a, it's a tricky one. It's between Han and, and Lee for me. It, it, Lee probably comes out on top just because he's a better fighter. But right. If you haven't noticed, Ricky's pattern is Ricky loves the money. So <laughs> all the way from the beginning, went, went for Salsa Doom over Conan yeah, because yes. of that big stacks and the parties <laughs> and the women. So that's what, And that's okay. That's okay. That's great. Well, but he's gone with Lee now. You said you want Lee. No, I is think right? I think Lee. Yeah, you can't pass up okay. the, the opportunity. Well, I can because I think he. I have no evidence that he'd be a good parent. Whereas I, I've seen uh, all of Han's daughters, and they seem happy <laughs> <Yes>. enough. <laughs> They're just well trained, and um, they live a good life. And you know, he's not. It didn't seem like there was any weird sex stuff going on with them. Like you know, like he wasn't. He wasn't um, hot under the collar about all that. Like because Roper tried to, you know. Like, there was a calm about it. Like, it was like, it wasn't creepy and weird. Roper mistook them for his personal prostitutes. And he was like, no, they're my daughters. And But he was cool. Yeah, he's cool. He's, he's got chill, you know. He's, he had chill there. Mm. So, I'm, I am going to go with Han. Um, I think that, um, and I'm going to come out on top, you know. So, yeah, I think that Lee is just, there's something missing, you know. Too, seri- too serious. Why so serious, you know. Like... I, I, I got. I got to say, Astrid, I think you've made quite literally a fatal mistake, because okay. that was a shitload of daughters and no sons. That's an amazing strike rate, unless something else is going on. Okay, well, what's happening to the sons? Mm. Is that my? Is that just the, the, the ambiguity that I've got to live with from now on out? No. I think we can assume what's <laughs> happening to the sons. I'm ending up in the pool with Williams. I think you're <laughs> you washing know? up. Either that or you're washing up, uh, you know, at the at the harbour, mm-hmm. like at the beginning when they say, you know, well, that, that's standard for, for the harbour bodies, just wash up. Part of um, who is your daddy is accepting responsibility and I accept the responsibility of my eventual death. My right. eventual tragic <laughs> and pointless death. One Lee, one Han. Very good. <laughs> Excellent. Ricky, did you? are you going to say something about Lilo Schifrin or not? Well, you know, it's a, it's another shift from score. He he did the Dirty Harry and the um, Magnum Force. Uh, it's just 
iconic, you know. It's fucking great. Incredible. You know. What, a, what an amazing score. Like, as soon as it started the other night, I was I was humming the yeah. whole time. Da, da, yeah. Da, da, da. yeah. It's just exciting da, da, da. and it's fun and, you know, it's, I think it's... Bit of funk. It did yeah. get funkier when Williams first appeared on screen. Yes. Yeah. All of a sudden the funk it. started coming in. Well, yeah. Jim Kelly, he brings the funk. Like, yeah. you can't, like, you know, I mean, everything he says is funky. He's just like, man, you know, you got something out of a comic book, you know? Yeah, like, just yeah he is cool. Yeah. So, yeah, the and score is just... The score is great. great. And, you know, it, it doesn't use any traditional, you know, like like Asian instruments or, uh, you know, or Chinese instruments, but it, it does try to imitate a number of them. So, you know, it uses stuff like guitars and, and banjos and... And violins to sort of uh, imitate some of those things because, you know, it, it's hard because he would have had a certain number of weeks to to write the score, record the score. You know, it's not as though he could find uh, really well trained, uh, you know, Chinese musicians who could play their instruments, their traditional instruments, and read Western notation and be be confident enough to be in a session and just nail their part. You know, so that that's one of the problems. I mean, you could go that route where you you know, you, you find amazing musicians. He probably didn't have time to do that. And it's a different could era you, as well, you know. Could you turn out a a funky oriental score now? It, it get away with like, it. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Like, like, could you be handed in? You hand it into Universal Pictures or whatever. They go, oh, thank you. And you get handed in. Here you go. And they put, they turn it on and it's going like... Like, and it's like sort of like... And you, <laughs> you hear it in the, in the music. You sort of hear it and you go... Is that sort of because it's edging close to you know ten or ten or so years later, which is (laughs) well, I think I think it would have to be be written by someone of of some sort of Asian heritage. That's how you'd get around it. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it'd be perfectly fine for them to use a you know Western string section alongside all of these you know twanging Asian instruments, but you know the other way around doesn't work. And but you, because the thing is, Peter Gabriel never gave a fuck. Like he was the king of world music. Like yes. his scores, um, you know, maybe. And I don't think you could do that now. I don't think you could do Paul Simon's Graceland, same era, or yeah. Peter Gabriel's, you know, Last Temptation score, any of that stuff. Yeah, but that's like, when they that. that's when they praised that sort of thing. And they did and, back but then. Now, yeah. yeah, and. You know, like I think it's been mentioned on on this podcast or, or maybe one of the other ones before. It's like most people from those cultures love hearing that shit. Like, I certainly yeah. would. Pretty much, you, yeah. you, you you only don't like it when it's you know when something's offensive. Like the Simpsons episode about our country gets a couple of things right, and some of it's they haven't done the research. They could have lampooned they've they've lampooned us in it in an unfair way. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, as much as I like, Mr. Prime Minister, <laughs> as, much as, I, as much as I like that and the boot up the butt, like, you know, I think that should be our flag, by the way, not the, not the ones they're trying to put up there now. But but but, uh, but it, it's when someone nails you, you just go, ooh, yes, you know, or or, or like, right, that's a different different point. The point we're, we're making about, about, about the music or, or the appropriation is, it's about, it is about intention. It is about, in this movie, you see the documentary, you hear all the people speak and, and they, they were in it. They, they were living 
if you, you know Hong Kong back in those days or pre nineteen ninety seven, I'm to understand was a vibrant multicultural city, and and the spirit of of something of, of that uh, uh, countries in this movie, all these different cultures and stepping over each other and getting on with it, and and you know we've got we, there's there's um all sorts of interactions going on with the music yeah there's there's western and eastern music there's there's uh british people you know probably speaking chinese there's there's asian people speaking english there's it's all it's all mixed up you know in in sort of in this very interesting way and now we're trying to unpick everything to to the point where it's like um it's it's very childish and very um you know and i don't mean this pejoratively but it's 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 like it's like being on the spectrum. It's like, you know, people now culturally are on the spectrum. They go, oh, okay, my shoes have to be lined up in the right color. And you go, okay, you sure we can't have, you know, just them not all lined up like that? Like, no, no, it's got to be lined up or I'm not going to school, you know? And you're like, well, I don't know what to do. Anyway, if you're autistic, I'm sorry about that analogy. But <laughs> sorry, but my wife tells me I'm autistic, so... You know, maybe you've offended me, so I I don't know. So, but yeah, it's it's it's. I don't think you could turn out this score, not at all. No. Right. Well, are we are we going to talk boobs? Are we going to get into locker room talk? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was locker room talk. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but it is things that people say. It's locker room talk. Uh, you know, you just jump in when you feel necessary. I feel there was quite a lot in this, but I got a few little points to bring up. So, uh, firstly. Uh, this movie went up in my estimations uh, when two racist cops jump Williams um, so they can't stand the idea of this proud black man uh, being off to Hawaii while these flatfoots uh, marooned in their urban nightmare. So massive points for the ACAB nod. And now, if you remember, Ricky, ACAB stands for All Cops Are Bastards. So you oh. should have had that graffitied on your wall. Where, where, where did that come from? Oh, thankfully... You don't know, uh, Yuri, because you live in a normal world. Whereas if you lived in Portland or... I've even seen it around Sydney or if you go to grungy areas, you can see shitty Australian versions. But it's something that they were saying around the BLM times, you know, the bad old days. ACAB. So anyway, that's in this movie. Um, Next up, uh, this film is an advertisement for the world's oldest profession and almost everyone indulges in sexual exploitation. The women are brought around to rooms and offered to the male characters like after dinner mints with Jim Kelly uh, taking no less than three women and boasting that he's tired and could probably take more. Doesn't he take five? Five? I thought he took five. All right, well, he takes five. And just a special shout out to uh, AJ on Side Boob Cinema because there was a shot in this movie that made me think of the other podcast of it's probably the best side boob I've ever seen yeah. in the foreground. I don't know if you, you you spotted that, Ricky. Did you? I did. Yes. Oh, I did. Okay. <laughs> you spotted it. <laughs> I, I didn't remember anyway. boobs from from back in the day. I was watching rewatching it. And I was like, ooh, okay. I know. I know. It was very good. Mr. Williams. For me, <laughs> you should know. But I'll take you, darling. And you. 
and you and you. Please understand, if I missed anyone, it's been a big day. I'm a little tired. Oh, of course, Mr. Williams. You must conserve your strength. Uh, but anyway, about to these, these, these hookers, I want to see a movie about these women, okay? Brie Larson, Lupita Nyong'o, and Sarah O oh could star. It's the story of human bondage, a tale of tragedy uh, as these women are kidnapped and forced to be slaves for a barbaric and domina- domineering drug dealer. We follow their story as they fight to survive and learn to love and laugh again. Um, <laughs> uh, just as a side note, Yuri, uh, we would never see one fight scene in, in that movie that I pitched. Okay? That's the movie. I don't have a name for it yet. Into the... Into the, the sounds, like, sounds like fried green tomatoes or something. Yes. But in my, in, <laughs> think of that title, Enter the Woman. <laughs> what a great, what a great ham-fisted, like, that's yes. that, like a way of saying I'm all about it, but I've deeply offended people without knowing it. Enter the woman. It sounds like you're making a movie about something else. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. So anyway, um, you should also know um, that uh, Lee's sister, we've talked about Lee's sister. Now, we know that having Lee's sister kill herself to motivate the action of uh, a male lead is called fridging. I don't know if you remember this, Yuri. It comes from a, a comic book where a girlfriend of Green Lantern was found murdered in a fridge and gets sets him off on this sort of revenge kick you know so right uh, when you so fridging is what happens when a woman is sacrificed for a man's journey now firstly lee's sister her character should have been expanded okay she's got no lines as i recall uh, in fact the movie should be about her uh trying to balance her life as a fashion designer whilst kicking serious butt on the side enter the slay queen that's what that one would be called um, furthermore, O'Hara and his fellow rapers chase the girl down and rather than be raped, she kills herself. Now, this is the kind of valorization of chastity only a man could dream up. So important is the gatekeeping of women's sexuality that in the event that a rapist, i.e. any and every man, uh, has his way with a woman, uh, then she must kill herself. If this uh, movie were made today, I would pick at the studio and get online petitions out there to shame the filmmakers in have, into having O'Hara and his men kill themselves instead, okay? Where's the drama in that, you say? Yuri, do you care about drama uh, more than rape? Of course oh. not. I don't care about drama or stakes or conflict or anything like that in, in movies and entertainment and art. It just Hold it. Only don't the say message anything more. matters. Don't say anything more. I've already made you a studio head. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I accept. And finally, Enter the Dragon showcases the infantile obsession with martial arts many men have. Uh, discipline, competition and achievement. These are the very enemies of diversity and inclusion. We can never achieve any kind of equality of outcome if there are people like Bruce Lee who can kick my fucking ass. Okay. Uh, before you say, ooh, you know, he's Asian, you know, and that's, like, offensive, you, ju- you just need to know that that now means he's white adjacent, okay? So his suffering doesn't count. 
Um, nor does the Herculean effort he put in every day of his life to be the best in everything he did. Uh, I think we should ban all martial arts tournaments or declare everyone a winner, perhaps at the beginning. The exception being if a biological male now identifying as a trans woman wants to fight women, I'm all for that. Uh, let the best uh, person win, I say. But it, it kind of the movie goes <laughs> takes it a bit further with with incredibly damaging and triggering lines like they have in the beginning where um, Lee's uh, master tells him that um, martial artists needs needs to take responsibility for their own actions, and that is a horrible horrible message that you should feel responsible for anything that you do because it's right. always someone else's fault. True. The patriarchy. And, and, it's, and it's always because of how oppressed you've been that you might do anything. So, yeah, what, what, a, what a terrible thing to teach to our young children. It's, uh, that's, that, is, that is no good. Um, so, was there anything else in there, Ricky, Yuri, that I, I feel like there was a, b a bunch more toxicity. I mean, there's a lot of nasty men in this movie, but then again, if, you're, if you believe in the patriarchy and all that, then maybe it's a documentary. I don't know. So... Hmm. Do you think any chicks like this movie? I think so. Like really yeah. like it? Not as much. My my wife enjoyed it. Although she did she did comment about how how women are just just you know objects Crumpet. to be to be passed around. Pass the Dutch. Pass that Dutch on the left hand side. His daughters were <laughs> you know very well trained and and when he came out and you know they were all throwing darts and whatnot at those apples. My Ling was also one of the the British agent was in yeah yeah yeah. Well, that's like I mean, that's, were that they, is an error. Were they his daughters that's or a, were they two different groups of women? They, I think no, they were two different groups daughters. of women. That is a total error. That is that's a writer's error. That's them going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if his his daughters are like his personal guard? And you go, yeah. And then they've got they've just written another scene with My Ling's in the mix, and they haven't put it together. They've never put it together because well, they're on reefer. It's just a short. I thought it was a shortcut for Lee to be able to say that. That's the prostitute he wants because he goes, I want the owner of this dart because he happens to catch the apple that she throws. Yes. You're right, though. That's how it's happened. Yeah. But then, the net, then, then it's, it's, they've admitted they wrote it in about two seconds. That is something that... It, that's what, Now, I know this is a very strange movie to bring up, but that's why Skyfall is one of the best James Bond movies because there was a strike going on and those writers had no choice but to keep rewriting for whatever reason. They've talked about this, that they just kept rewriting. And that's why that movie hangs together in a way that, um, you know, shall we say, Octopussy doesn't, uh, <laughs> you know, all, all due respect. <laughs> so this is just one of those things that we get. The, the, I have a list of about 10 things and this that, this would be one of them. I'd say, okay, all right. So now is Myling, you know, pick your poison. Either his daughters are all the guard. Oh, can't she just be part of the guard? I go, no, you don't understand it. Either they're all his daughters, mm. and that's great. Or if if it's kind of a mixture of his daughters and not his daughters, and we never hear about the hierarchy within that, it sucks. A hundred percent sucks. Yeah, you I know. Agree. So make a choice. Do you what do you want? Do you want him to hold up the dart and say, "I want the girl to do this dart"? Do you want that, or do you want his daughters to be the guard? You can't have both. But also, where were they in the final battle? Just elsewhere, okay? doing their nails, just gone. shopping, shopping. Yeah. And another huge plot hole I had was all the guards that Lee fought the first time he ran out, how did they mistake Bruce Lee for 
a really tall black dude with a giant fro when they thought William uh, was was the only one who left his and you know that's well, look, why William un- gets un- killed. Un- I think they need unconscious bias training because they they clearly have a minority uh, problem. They can't. They just see all minorities as you know one kind. Like, even oh, even yeah. Chinese guys. Yeah, well, they could be they're white adjacent, so they they have taken on the colonial eye. Right. As much as we have. Yes. And um yes. which is why I've enrolled us all in many. So, so so it's it's not a gaping plot hole, it's just a a, a deficiency. It's right, yeah. Yeah. I thought about this today. I'm trying I'm going to keep it moving, I promise, but I I I just wondered in conversation how I thought I wanted to try an experiment like just talking to people like after they say something and you just say randomly just say oh that's a bit racist don't you think <laughs> yes <laughs> don't you think that would be quite funny like if you like it doesn't matter what they say they just go oh yeah, i'm doing going down to the shops so or you just go oh that's a bit racist don't you think and yeah. then that like that would be a way of just i think that's what this current thing deserves yes so you think like this current thing just deserves like because we just need to do David Brent because that's what he would do. He'd just say, mm. oh, it's racist. Yeah, like comments on the weather. Like, oh, is it great weather today? Oh, it's a bit racist. racist don't you think? And yeah. then like, you know, because I mean, that's what they're kind of doing now anyway. All <laughs> right. So that's a lot of stuff in locker room talk. Do we, what do we say? How toxic is this movie? Oh, it's very toxic. Very. 10 out of 10. If 10 is, is super toxic. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. it, yep. it starts with a dead woman washed up on a beach and no one gives a shit. <laughs> and then it just gets worse from there. I don't. I didn't yeah. care. Yeah. No. No. Now this is a very toxic movie. This is this is like get yeah, a five alarm fire of the patriarchy. It was like yeah. toxic masculinity. The movie. Yeah, it, it is. It is, and mm-hmm. it's made a lot of money. So, and people have got posters on their wall for like fifty years. So yes, yeah, they love it. They still love it, and they put. You could show this on a. I reckon at a big cinema probably where they've done diversity training and stuff behind the scenes. You could show this as a retrospective and people would all come and no one would put it mm. all together. I think so. All right, you guys ready for some trivia? Mm. Hit me. So uh, the screenplay title was uh, Blood and Steel. Where's the steel? Han's hand. Han's hand, I think. I thought it was more of an iron hand. Oh, but at the end when he has the blades, when he swaps hands. Oh, okay. Was I the only one that was put off with how much he was using that hand between the scenes where it actually has to be prosthetic? Sucks. He was like holding the cat. Uh There's one where he like flicks it right before he takes off that glove. But he's like really flicking that hand and then he takes that glove off and it's like... No, it's preposterous, man. It's It's, it's shitty. It's it's like every stupid movie where, where... yeah, it's a big like like in that I've already mentioned these dumb Star Wars movies. In Solo, there's a big hulking linebacker bad guy, and then takes off his helmet at the end. It's like a little chick. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, and you just <laughs> teenage go, girl. Yeah. yeah, teenage girl, and you just go, "This movie, hundred percent sucks." <laughs> uh, the film, as we know, was a smash hit all around the world, but it was also a big success in Iran, uh, where where it played at a theater. Every day up until night up until the nineteen seventy nine Iranian Revolution. <laughs> there it is. No, but I thought they, they they would be all about it in a way. I think yeah. like 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 there's you know, it's got the same disdain for women that, that Iran has today. So I don't see what the big problem is. No, yeah. I, th- I thought Iran was actually up until the revolution like ultra progressive. It was, yeah. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, but I'm saying like they should have kept it rolling and said, "Oh, oh right, right, well, right. I think there's we there's don't other approve stuff of the here. skin and all of that. Yeah, we don't approve of all this, but but our hatred of women is so great that we, yeah. we sort of half approve. Mm. So uh, as you guys probably know, Jackie Chan is in this movie as one of the stunt guys, uh, and uh, Bruce Lee actually struck Jackie Chan in the face with one of his fighting sticks. Uh, Lee immediately apologized and insisted that Chan could work work on all of his movies after that. But unfortunately, unfortunately, Lee died before he could uh, keep keep his promise to Jackie Chan. I had a really petty thought that I feel really ashamed about because part of me felt a little bit happy that Jackie Chan got hit with a stick because I heard him <laughs> being a shill for the CCP. Recently. He is a shill for the CCP. Yeah, 100%. So, I know that's terrible. It shouldn't be worth it because... <laughs> They want to hit people with sticks. I don't want to hit people with sticks. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, Bruce Lee had a small piece of iron in his hand when he broke all the mirrors, so so he didn't cut his hand. So the production had trouble finding actresses to play prostitutes and perform nude, so they hired real life prostitutes. That's a <laughs> that's a better piece of trivia than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> that's great. And he what Yuri. He didn't. He didn't mention it in locker room talk. So <laughs> yeah. that says a lot. Just that, that, actual that, prostitutes in the movie. The yeah. most offensive thing in in the world um, wasn't even mentioned <laughs> as, part of, <laughs> as part of the scale. So there you go. So I don't know how we feel about this one in 2022, but in 2004, this movie was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant in the United States and selected for preservation uh, in the National Film Registry Registry of the Library of Congress. Well, the Library of Congress, you know, I I think is fantastic. And they actually hold the only, uh, well, they hold a print of 1977's Star Wars, the original, uh, unedited. So they they have an important uh, role. I don't know what the point. Of every year they pick one film to go in there. Right. So Mr. Smith goes to Washington, for instance, like is in there and Gone with the Wind. I'm sure. So we're living in in the most dangerous times, which is Year Zero. So whenever you've got these Year Zero moral panics, if you work at the National uh, in the Library of Congress or these archives. Because museums are being, you know, sort of going through hand wringing and sort of, I don't know, they're doing all sorts of mad shit. So I wonder what it's like to work at the Labor of Congress and, and, you know, when your very role is, you know, you wouldn't be able to te- to say coherently to somebody who works at the New York Times what your role is. Like, you wouldn't be able to say, yeah, we have Into the Dragon because it's an important film. Like, I don't care what, you know, you can say what you like about the various elements. It's, it's not about the the it being inappropriate or whatever it's it's a it's a document um and it's important and you know a lot of people it's important to a lot of people as a film or maybe you can come at it from another angle shouldn't you be able to say um you know for, for considering all things considered on balance you know in in 1973 no internet you know uh the west because it is a western movie um it was groundbreaking and the work they did, you know, again, it's that thing. I know you think that, you know, you, the 22-year-old who works at the New York Times as a fact checker, I know you think that, you know, everything up to now was just tuning up for you. But there were people doing good work a few minutes ago. And these people not only hired, there was about four Americans on the film, everyone else was was 
fucking Chinese or from Hong Kong or whatever. So they're the same thing now, by the way. Uh, but but the, the, so that is incredible in itself. Let alone the 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 the, the, interplay, the cultural interplay, and it brought ideas from the West in even in butchered form for the first time to people who'd never heard it before. Well, why is that argument not? Why why have we got to say, oh, that doesn't matter? What's more important is that no one sees it because if you live in the year zero, it's got to go. If you live in the year zero, gone with the wind has to go. Well, it's there hopefully, and hopefully they don't. I don't know, Antifa don't don't uh, infiltrate it and burn it down. Not like Inglorious Bastards, just light it all up. Yeah, yeah. And what are we left with? Their fucking shows, whatever they watch, whatever hateful mm. TV shows that they've got <laughs> that we have to watch. She Hulk Attorney at Law. Yeah, yeah, like that. All right, I got a couple more here. So uh, on the set, Bruce Lee offered one hundred dollars to anyone who could catch his hand before he jabbed them. And he didn't didn't pay a penny. So Bruce Lee had laryngitis for three days. Uh, the production team didn't have vocalizations with the right intonation from Bruce to reuse in the fight scenes. So instead, they used stock sound clips of animals, including adolescent seagulls, for Bruce's vocal sound effects. <laughs> My baby was uh, mimicking these sound effects the other day. I was I'm watching it. This is my work. I have to do this work. Okay, Daddy's doing his work. <laughs> <laughs> and coming up with boobometer and all that stuff. And he was going, yeah, like, what? And she was seriously doing the sounds. Like some of them, she'd go, yeah. And I'd go, I was like, whoa, okay. It's offensive. Yeah. That's a bit racist, don't you think? Sort of should have said that way. <laughs> oh, if only, if only Netflix hadn't cancelled the show about how to not, what is it? How to not raise a racist baby. Anti-racist baby. baby. Mm. If only they hadn't cancelled it, you, you'd, they would have taught you how to raise your baby not to be racist. Yes, I'm still working on that, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, no reviews? Uh, yeah, I have a few reviews. So, uh, Review and Pop Matters wrote, Of course, the real showcase here is the obvious star, Bruce Lee, whose performance as an actor and fighter are the most enhanced by the perfect sound and video transfer. While Kelly was a famous martial artist and a surprisingly good actor, and Saxon was a famous actor and a surprisingly good martial artist, Lee proves to be a master of both fields. Uh, Variety described it as rich in atmosphere, the music score as a strong asset, and the photography as interesting. <laughs> strong asset. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's a great. It's probably the best thing is, about the movie. Yeah. Jesus. So the New York Times gave uh, the film a rave review and said the picture is expertly made and well meshed. It moves like lightning and brims with color. So, I, I mean, these reviews are... are I mean, what do they even mean now? Like with a movie with this reach, this is now Marilyn Monroe level legendary. Yeah. So again, it's so big that I think people have seen it without seeing it. And if they've seen it, I don't know if they've seen it. Mm. I think you, you know what I mean? Like you've got to quiz them and say, what actually happened in it? You know, have you paid attention to this? And like, we've gone past that. It's entered now that, 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 that stratosphere. And so those reviews are just fascinating to hear because they're sort of tongue baths, but, um, you need to acknowledge the shitty stuff in this movie. You can't let it go. You can't just let it go, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't just say it's a solid gold masterpiece. You have to say, like, it is in parts, but... Well, I think maybe that's what makes what makes it a little bit tragic is that it's sort of... Because Bruce Lee had done a lot of sort of Hong Kong kung fu movies and this was like, it was almost 
a masterpiece. You know, if he had lived longer, he would have done more stuff but that, that had bigger but budgets. And, and, I, and I thought about this, though. Wouldn't he have ended up in the same director-video Maya that everyone else ended up in? Or would he have made his Once Upon a Time in China or, you know, like his sort of his big one where it's sort of... I mean, to me, it kind of seems like he went out on top. Like it seems I think like you're right. Like after this, well, because he, uh, I, I don't actually know where this was in his in his filmography. Was was his last one? Was that Game of Death? It was, yeah, technically, yeah. But technically, he wasn't. He yeah. didn't finish shooting it. Yeah, I think but was that the next one after this? Or yeah, it was, was cobbled more? together from from other movies though, and and it's and got the a se- they've even done a sequel, which has got like you know. Element yeah, again, but that was kind of his story and him directing, I think, wasn't it? So I think he was already starting to kind of go downhill because for all the things that he is, I don't think he's a writer director, you know. Like, I mean, and, and just having to fight your way up a, a tower is, you know, a very basic and simple idea that, you know, I don't think it would have done anywhere near as good, even if he'd completed it in the way he, he wanted to. I mean, it didn't do as good, anywhere near as good as this, or I don't think it wouldn't have done anywhere near as good, even if he had kind of made it everything he mm. wanted it to be. So I kind of think he was all like, yeah, I think this was always going to be his um his peak. And his death obviously contributed to, to its success as well, because it's made it, it's made it um, bigger than... Yeah. Bigger than Ben-Hur. It's a little, little bit of the James Dean thing as well, so... You know, mm, absolutely. That, that he's totally. Uh, if you had a, one of those daggy posters, he'd be on there with James Dean and Marilyn Monroe, and it yeah. would be created down the bottom. It would say "Legends," <laughs> and it would be faded. The poster would be faded, and you, you would never see it new. It would be on some dad's come faded? friends, friends, friends <laughs> the garage wall, and you'd go, "When did you buy that? And what does it mean?" So, what's on the cards for our next show? Well, look, you know, by the time this airs, Father's Day will be a memory, but I feel like I want to do the ultimate dad movie. Okay. Now, when I think of dad movies for millennials, this is this is the number one dad movie. I think it's called The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> yes. So, Sean Connery um, and Alec Baldwin. So, we can talk about Alec, which I think will come up. <laughs> Talk about Connery's hair, yeah, uh, and um, his accent, his accent, and you know Tim Curry's in it. They're all in it. It's great, uh, and so directed by John McTiernan, and, and um, I'm actually really excited. It's a sort of movie that uh, you, as a kid, you go, you just go, oh wow, that looks like the very epitome of boring, and then you see it later, and you go, ah, oh, it's fucking great, you know. So I'm looking forward to it. It's been a long time, actually. Yes, well, uh, yeah, I'm pumped. All right, so that's that. Uh, well, that's a, another good show, gentlemen. Uh, I think um, we've covered a lot. Um, solved a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> Tackled a lot of big issues. <laughs> Tackled a lot of big issues. I think I managed to squeeze in, if you know, even give um, pe- people with autism a whack as well. Like just sort of an askance mm. sort of whack. It's good. We're... Um, uh, we're, we're doing our best until next time don't be a pussy don't be a pussy okay so don't be one <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> We're not ready. We don't have the fruit. <laughs>